Thank you for listening to the Convergence Podcast. We pray that God speaks to you during this message and that he moves in your life. I want to dive into uh, this, the, our passage today, and I want to I talk to you a little bit more about, about David and Goliath and the ecclesia. And I just want to speak to you from my heart. I have so many notes here, and, and I, do, I will go through those notes. Um, but I do want to talk about three things that we're going to have to rise above in order to continue to grow into this place of, of the mandate of uh, being Christ's ecclesia. And believe it or not, you guys, what's happening around the world is that people are becoming, or I should say they are the ecclesia. They're actually, that's becoming real to them, and they don't even know it. You know, <laughs> like, they don't have language for it right now. We have language for it. Uh, they don't quite have language for it. Um, but they, they are it, and, and it is happening around the world. And, you know, we have friends in the Philippines. We have friends, you know, in other nations of the world. And, and just let you guys know, God's got it all in control. So let's all be at peace ab- about that, and everybody say amen. Just say amen right where you're at. Just say amen. Turn to someone next to you if you're next to someone. Just say amen. God's got it in control. All right. So um, trying to figure out how to transition, I, I wanted to say... I wanted to say this, uh, last week I left off, where, um, you know, the, the Goliath is, is a, you know, the, the Philistines and the Israelites, the armies have assembled. Goliath is, is taking a stand. That's how they war, that's how they did some battles in the, uh, in the Old Testament. They always had one champion on one side, one champion on the other. And up comes Goliath, and Goliath's right about nine feet, nine inches tall. And he begins to defy the armies of Israel. And um, the armies of Israel are panicking. The scripture says, it all depends what translation you're reading, but terror f- filled their heart. They were, they were filled with dismay, um, as NIV says. And they could not find any person to actually challenge Goliath because they had their eyes fixed on Goliath. They, they saw how big Goliath was. And so everybody in the camp, uh, in the army, including King Saul, including the commanders, including the generals, all those that were there uh, were filled with panic and fear. And so Goliath would make his stand twice a day. He'd come out in the morning. He'd come out at night. He looked fortified. He, was, he had javelins that were a javelin that was super heavy, swords, all that. So he looked fortified, and there was nobody in Israel who was willing to stand and battle against Goliath. And then you had this shepherd boy, and I did say last week that God is raised, I'll say it again, I really feel it in my heart, God's raising up new shepherds. Not that the old shepherds, I'm a, I consider myself maybe an older shepherd, but God's not talking about age, There's, I'm talking about paradigms, that the Lord is, is raising up new shepherds um, with, with paradigms that are fresh from heaven. And so, so there's David, and he's, he's in this, let's just call it a shelter in place, he's in with the Lord, he's, he's doing his job shepherding the, the sheep, and, um, and he's obeying his father's voice, and his father says, go to the army, and the families back then provided the rations, and so he, he went ahead, go to the army, bring food to the armies, and see how your brothers are doing. And so that's what David does. David obeys his father, he goes to the, goes to the battle zone, and he, see, he, you know, he drops off the food, goes and sees how his brother's doing, but ironically, that's the very same time that Goliath is stepping out 
uh, from the Philistine army and he begins to make a stand and he begins to defy the armies of Israel, the armies of God. And the scripture says in 1 Samuel 17, 23, that David heard it. And the point I made last week was that without Goliaths, Davids never enter the battle. In other words, Goliaths bring out Davids. And so, so this is kind of what I'm feeling that God's doing right now. I mean, right now, you know, a Goliath, whether you call it COVID-19, or Goliath has stepped out, and, and there's, there's great panic in the armies of God. And so here comes this, this shepherd boy, because he was, serve, because he was uh, tending the sheep, that means he wasn't in, enlisted in the army. That means he was, he was under 20 years old, and he was the last of eight, of eight kids. So literally, he, he was probably 16 years old. Can you imagine 16 years old? He goes, drops off his stuff, talks, and then here comes this Philistine. But the thing is, is that David has a history in God. David has a narrative in God, and David brings God's narrative into the battle scene, into the battle. Now, he wasn't expecting Goliath to show up. No one told him about it, but he carried the narrative of the Lord. And I think it's super important for us as believers right now that we carry the narrative of God. And for the first eight weeks, we were, you know, or nine weeks or however long this has been, there's been a lot of prophetic words about going deep in God, going deep in God, going deep in God. And we never stop going deep in God. We always go deep in God. We're, you know, it's all John 15, and it's going deep in God. But at some point, God's going to take the, the, the times that we've had with him, and he's going to call us to the front line. And David was, not, David was not enlisted. David just showed up. He was obeying his father, and out comes Goliath. And David was not told by anybody that you should go ahead and you know, declare this or you should do that. He sees it. And right, right away in his spirit, there's something that takes place in his spirit. It rises up inside of him, and he says, who is this Philistine who's defying the armies of the Lord? And so, so Goliath steps onto the scene, and when Goliath steps onto the scene, they draw out David. David never would have entered the battle. The Israelites never really would have engaged in the war if Goliath had not shown up at that time. Goliath only shows up twice a day. So it was God's timing for David to be where he was at and for Goliath to come out and for him to stand and hear what Goliath had to say. And that, again, you guys, that was the turning point of what took place in the battle is that David heard Goliath. So it says in verse 24, whenever the Israelites saw the man, Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. Again, Israelite, the Israelites still have the picture of Goliath. David has the picture of the Lord. The Israelites continue to see how big this is. David continues to see how big God is. And you and I have to have this, this I don't want to say a picture, but this, this lifestyle, this understanding of who God is in the middle of in the middle of this whole thing that's taking place, let's say that's Goliath and who Goliath is. And God is bringing in David at the right time to slay Goliath. Verse 25. So, so now they're in great fear. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see this man? 
how this man keeps on coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Can you imagine never paying taxes again? I mean, so now we understand that not only is Goliath defying the armies of the Lord and no one stepping out for 40 days, that there was actually an unimaginable reward that was connected to anybody who can defeat Goliath. Still, that was not enough to get a man to go up and confront Goliath. I mean, what the king was offering was unprecedented. Verse 26, and David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who was the uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? So David is leaning in, he sees Goliath, he says that who is this guy that's, you know, defying the armies of the living, living God, but he also says, hey, by the way, what's the reward again? And he doesn't only do that once, he doesn't only do that twice. David does it three times. And so in verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So David already he hears about this twice, and now I want to talk about the first thing that we have to rise up against. Verse 28, take a look at this. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, what have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness, like completely condescending. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You have come down here to watch the battle. The first thing that we have to rise above if we're going to see revival as Christ's ecclesia is that we must rise above the critic. Anytime David's rise... Critics will too. Every revival and every move of God has always been met with critics. These are naysayers who live to accuse the brothers or the brethren, if you're going to talk King James, includes, and that's sisters too, while they themselves do nothing to advance the kingdom. They come from, even from within your own family, they seek to prevent David's from rising. As Goliaths draw out David's, David's draw out critics. Well, that's, that's something to consider there for a moment. Criticism from within their own ranks begins to take place from his older brother. Jesus had him too. Those were called the Pharisees and they were called the Sadducees. Critics are seldom remembered in revivals. Critics don't carry revival, and they criticize those who do. Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's sons, and he is written in Scripture in only two places. The first here is we see in is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6. 
when he and Samuel thought that he would be anointed, God passed him up. So the first time we see Eliab is, remember the story when Samuel has all of Jesse's sons line up and he's got the anointing oil and he goes to Eliab, the, the older one, the oldest son, and he looks at Eliab and he says this in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, so it was when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look uh, at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Wow. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then we see this passage in 1 Samuel 17, 28. His jealousy and his envy toward his younger brother David leads to his outward anger and his criticism. David's will be judged by religious people as hearts filled with wickedness and conceit while they themselves do nothing. Can you imagine? Not only was he accused of as being conceited, he was actually accused of the one that actually has a wicked heart. And scripture says that David had a, had a heart after God, a heart after yeah, a heart after God. So, so we see here that Eliab begins to attack him on the front end. David's anointed. He wants to slay Goliath. He hears the rewards. And the first thing that, he, that rises up against David comes from within his own family. And he begins to be, he begins to be criticized. He, he begins to be condemned. And his motives are questioned immediately by his older brother Eliab. So the critic, their mission is to further divide the ranks instead of advancing the kingdom. And the only people they confront are those who are willing to challenge Goliath and bring revival to a nation. Verse 29, David responds and says, now what have I done? I mean, and then in the NIV it says, can I even speak? But the New King James says this. Is there not a cause? So you guys understand the picture, right? There, there he is. He's in the ranks. He's serving his brothers like his father says. He sees Goliath. He begins to question why Goliath is defying the armies of the Lord. He, gets, he hears the rewards coming to him. And the first thing that, that David hears is from his oldest brother who's jealous and who's envious of David, probably because he was passed up in 1 Samuel 16, and God anoints David. So David is now anointed. He rises up. He accuses him. He condescends him, and he begins to rail against him. And David is hearing this, and he says, listen, isn't there, a, isn't there not a cause? Isn't there a cause that we have to, why haven't you engaged the enemy? And then in verse 30, he says, and then he turned away to someone else and brought up the the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So David rises up and he says, is there not a cause? I don't think he screamed at him. I, I think he just looked at his brother and says, look, 
it doesn't matter. Sometimes it just doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get criticism. If you take a step of faith and you start moving into what God has called us to do, especially as Christ's ecclesia. So David rises up and he says, is there not a cause? And he kind of looks at them by saying, you know, we, you know, you guys have been here 40 days and for 40 nights and, you, and there's no one who has actually moved out and you're beginning to criticize my heart and my motives. So, so often critics turn the battle inward. They turn the battle against each other. There's Goliath defying the armies of God and there's the critic going after somebody in their own camp. A house divided against itself cannot stand. They turn the battle upon another person within God's army, within the family of God. This is why it's so important for us to maintain unity. It's why it's so important for us to keep our objective and our focus on Goliath and don't turn toward each other. Don't turn on each other. And then it says in Scripture, in, in verse 30, then he then, that being David, then David turned away to someone else. Now, I don't, I'm not opposed to questions. I'm not opposed to those kinds of things. But sometimes you have to walk away from the accusations. And you have to get back to your focus on Goliath. All that matters is that you know what God has said. And you know that you're living for him and, this is, and you're bringing God's narrative onto the scene and everybody else has the narrative of Goliath. And they turn, any sense of confidence is being, any sense of, of uh, a confidence in God, like let's take care of this guy, is looked at as being pompous or looked at as being in some way, form, you know, a, a way of, or a measuring or a level of conceit. And not only that, Declaring that someone's heart is wicked. Uh, I mean, don't ever declare someone's heart is wicked. I mean, at that point, I just feel like just stepping out and say, I don't even want to be near you <laughs> if you're saying that. And so this is what his brother, his brother does. And the sad thing, you guys, is this. There's only, two script, there's only two passages in the Bible that define who Eliab was. The first one is... He's passed over by Samuel. The second one is, is he actually goes after his younger brother David, and that's it. That's all you hear about him in Scripture. That's what he's memorialized for. And so I, I think it's important for us to not get caught up in vain arguments, discussions, trying to convince, you know, like, my heart is this, my heart is that, my heart... I, I think there might be a measure of that, but you know who you are. And like I always, I've said this for years, I live by it. People can try and destroy your reputation, but they'll never destroy your character. Your character, uh, my character is my responsibility. And there might be people going after other people's reputation, and you can't control that. But I can control my heart for God. I can control my heart being in revival before the Lord, and I can control my character. And so I just want to encourage you along those lines. 
And then what's amazing in, in this passage, it says in verse 31, that Saul sent for him. We went from Eliab to Saul. We went from people who are like, you know, you're arrogant, why are you doing it? And there's a huge difference between arrogance and confidence. Right? Arrogance is, is mixed with a lot of pride, a lot about me, a lot about confidence. Is all about looking toward or at somebody else. So, so I'm confident in the gifts God has given me. David's confident that Goliath will go down because God has anointed him and God will take care of the enemy. So there's nothing arrogant that's going on in David's heart, though he's being accused of that. And people begin to hear it. And so he has, in, in really in about three verses, he, he has the critic pounding him to an audience with the king. So, so somebody hears about it and calls uh, let Saul know about it, and Saul's like, bring David to me. We're talking about a 16-year-old, I don't know, I want to call him boy, but, you know, teenager, right? 16-year-old teenager, and, here, and he comes before Saul. I mean, what a turn that is. So now he's leaving, and he's going to see Saul, and Eliab is watching this. I have a lot to say about that, but I'm going to keep moving on. I'll just say that. So we have to rise above the critic. The second thing is we must rise above conventional thinking. David said to Saul, he, he approaches Saul, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Wow. The first thing he says to Saul is, do not lose heart. The first the first thing he communicates to Saul is have hope. Now, I know I said it before, I will say it again, he who has hope has the most influence. We've got to be carriers of hope. Why? Because David has God's narrative. This is not arrogance. This is confidence in God. So he's bringing the hope of God into the armies of God, and he's saying do not lose heart. And not only does he say, do not lose heart on account of this Philistine, he says, your servant, not some wicked-hearted person, your servant will go and fight this guy. So he declares hope, he declares courage, he's declaring faith in the middle of a national crisis, in the middle of a national battle, um, and it's completely biblical to do so. Hope does not ignore the circumstances or does not ignore what's going on. Hope does not ignore that we have a guy standing up and he's defying the armies of God. Hope is looking at that and saying, God can do it even in the middle of this. So it's important that we don't panic. It's important that we're not filled with fear or we're not terrified. But we have to be sons and daughters of God who actually lead with hope and courage. Remember, often the Lord tells us, be strong and courageous. So lead with courage, lead with hope, lead with faith. Communicate that to the people that you're connected to. And Saul says in verse 33, so we have to get past this, rise above this 
The second thing was to rise above conventional or traditional thinking. And i got to move on with this as fast as I can. So Saul replies to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Basically, as many years as you've been alive, he's been a warrior. And he tells David, you can't do it. So first David, you know, faces his brother's accusations. And now he faces the king's evaluation or David's qualifications. Saul is thinking on old paradigms. He's thinking on old methods. He's thinking about old structures and ways to defeat Goliath. It's conventional. Conventional is all about getting your armor on. Conventional is all about being trained in battle and trained in war. That's conventional. And so he's thinking along those lines. And David is none of that. David is 16 years old. He doesn't have armor on. He might have a little slingshot hanging around his neck. I don't know. He has a little pouch and that's it. And he says to the king, do not lose heart. I'm bringing you hope. I mean, just think about if you were the king, you're just like, this is not hope. This is, this is silly. This is ridiculous. But I, I admire Saul for listening to him. I admire Saul for bringing him into his tent. I admire leadership that's going to bring a David in and it's going to sit down with David and at least begin the discussion with him. And I believe right now, I, there's so many parallels here prophetically. I believe right now the Ecclesia movement is young. I, I do believe that the revelation of what God's sending to the churches is a young movement. And, it, and in some ways, it, it might look a little bit arrogant. It might look a little bit, you know, cocky. It might look a little bit, though we do, hopefully we just love and serve, and that's what we do. But... But I admire what Saul did. And in verse 34, it says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. In other words, David just didn't give up. David says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried him off, carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, I struck it, I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me. The Lord will rescue me. The Lord will rescue me. The Lord will fight for me. And he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So David does not disqualify himself. And that's so important. He stands up to the king. And again, you guys, he brings God's narrative into the meeting. He brings his experience into the meeting. He brings his testimony into the meeting. He brings the fact that he's won battles in the private place, and now he brings that testimony before kings. And so this is what you see David doing. This is not arrogance, nor is this conceit. It's really his history in God that actually provides hope and degrees of faith.
or leadership. And so the one thing I admire about King Saul we see in verse 37, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I, I mean, I want us to pause for a moment and think about how crazy that is. So, so with conventional thinking, you, you would think, this is completely absurd. I have, a, I, have a young, I have a teenager that's not even qualified to be in the army. He just shows up, and he tells me his story. And, and Saul, I don't know if it's pure desperation or not, he goes ahead and he just says, go and the Lord be with you. I mean... Saul put everything on the line on a teenage kid who has a narrative with God, who's been deep in God, and he has his history in God, brings it before the king. I mean, I just want to, I admire leadership like that. I admire leadership that will take a risk. I, I admire leadership that will, that maybe he felt it in his heart, maybe you know, I, I don't think Saul consulted with anybody. I don't think he sent David out of the tent so they can, they can you know, they can hang out and talk for 15 minutes about what they should do. I, I feel like there was a quickening in Saul's heart and there was a release of David's, of David, but David's in the prophetic sense to fight Goliath. And I love the fact that David stayed submitted to leadership, even though it was conventional. So then Saul, verse 38, dressed David in his own armor. Uh, NIV says a tunic. And he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Fast, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says, I cannot go, I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. The, the King James says, uh, the New King James says, I have not tested them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Wow. So Saul begins to dress him in his armor. doesn't work. It hasn't been tested. But one thing that has been tested is his sling. I call it a slingshot, but his sling which was just a piece of rope with a pouch, you know, thread or leather with a pouch, and that was it. We actually threw these things when we went to Israel. Me and Wendy were in Israel. We we're practicing being David, you know. So we were actually in the valley. This is where the battle was. So you're on the battle scene, and, like, we were, like, dreaming that we would be David, and we were flinging these things, and, man, the rocks just dropped two inches, and they, you know. We don't know what we were doing. But anyway, we, had, we actually had the actual design element of what, how David how David had, and we actually picked up the five, you know, we picked up smooth stones from the dry riverbed, and it was pretty wild. So there he is, and the old conventional ways, old conventional things, you know, just sometimes are just not going to work. We have to be open to new methods, always the same message, but new methods, and that's what David's bring. David's are going to bring, I'm praying that God would raise up David's to bring new new methods, new revelation into the battle or to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. And I can't be so bent into structures that actually prohibit 
the Davids from advancing the kingdom of God on the earth. And what we're doing right now, we're, I'm coming to you live on video, and you know this is all this is all new in so many ways. This is a new wineskin the Lord is forming, and I don't know where it's going to be, but but we're reaching more and more people, and we have to continue to be open to what God's doing. And then the last thing we have to face is so it's it's the critic, it's conventional thinking. The last thing we have to face or rise above is, of, is intimidation. And here I just want to move very quickly and wrap it up. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked uh, David over and saw that he was, more, he was no more than a boy, glowing with health, and he, he was handsome, and he, was, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. So here's the intimidation. Can you imagine? Nine feet, nine inches tall. Who knows how tall David was? We know David was only 16 years old. And then this, the continual flow of intimidation, trying to bring fear into David's heart. And David withstands that. And David said, verse 45, he said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. David never mentions the weapons he's carrying. David never talks about what he can, how fortified he is. David continually, continually puts the pressure, if I can use that in a very good way, on the name of the Lord like the Lord's going to take care of it. So he says, in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Who's going to deliver it? The Lord is going to deliver you into my hands. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Like, okay. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Phyllis, I will give... This very day, I will give the, car the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The whole world is waiting. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Here it is. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. Just say it. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And I'm telling you guys, in the middle of all the craziness that is happening, we have to make the declaration, the battle is the Lord's. Yes, the, the, the odds might seem against us. But when, when there's one person and the Lord, it's always a majority. Always. Always. So I just want to reassure your heart that the battle is the Lord's in the middle of all the things that we're facing right now. So David never mentions the weapons he's carrying. He talks about the Lord um, and his heart is to give glory to God, not for himself. And even in, as the ecclesia rises up, we have to make sure that we're, we're giving glory to God in everything that we do. Verse 48. And the Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly. I love this. David didn't back up. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. 
reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. That stone was fueled by the anointing. I'll just say that. It was fueled by the anointing. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from his sheath, from the sheath, and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. I mean, that's brutal, right? But that back then, when you cut off the head, it was a proof of total victory. And so that was what they did. Uh, verse 41, I think, 51. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. In other words, David's personal victory leads to a corporate victory. And never underestimate your personal victories. Never underestimate even the small things that God brings you through. Because those small things and the testimonies that you bring actually give courage to the people around you. Here's this 16-year-old. Can you imagine what his brother was, might have been thinking when David was standing in front of Goliath? Because there's that kid, there's my, my younger brother. How did he get up there? How can he stand before Goliath? He has a wicked heart. He's so, he's so conceited. Like he's standing in the, he's not doing it in himself, but he's standing there. And when David first approached Goliath, can you imagine what the armies thought? And then when David makes the declaration and then he slays Goliath, everything changes. And faith fills the army. And courage fills the army. And they begin to shout, yeah, whatever the war cry is, right? It's not yeah, but whatever the war cry is. And they surge forward and they rout the enemy. So as, as the ecclesia is rising all over the earth, yes, we're going to face, the, we're gonna face probably going to face criticism. People are going to say, you know, just go back in your place. Just go back where you belong. Just go back and do the things that you've always done. Go back to your sheep, that little small fold that really, you really are nothing. Just go back there. But that's not what the Lord's doing. He's raising up his army. He's raising up his Davids right now. You can call him Ecclesia. You can, however way you want to phrase it, but this is what's going on. And then you're gonna, you're gonna, we're going to be faced with conventional things that we're going to have to over, you know, we're going to have to rise up above. And, you know, convergence is very non-traditional, but in, in some sense, you know, we're going to have to rise above even some of the things that we are currently doing because God's doing a new thing and we just want to make sure we stay in step with what the Lord's doing. And then we're going to be, we're going to, we'll probably face some levels of intimidation. And as we rise up uh, as Christ's ecclesia, not in our own strength, not because we're like, oh my gosh, I'm amazing. We're not saying that. We're just being humble and we're coming before the Lord and God's using us and God is promoting and building his church all around the world that we will face levels of intimidation. But as long as we are doing it for and in the name of Jesus, God's going to give us the victory. And it's going to come out of nowhere. And so we want to we embrace all of that. We want to embrace this boldness, not in ourselves. We want to embrace this confidence, not in ourselves, but in the giftings that God has given us 
and we also want to stay submitted, and we want to do what the Father's telling us to do. All right? So I've, I've gone way over. I just want to pray for you guys, and I just would encourage your hearts as we close today that, that you are a David, that God is raising you up, and we see that, 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 that even that picture in the New Testament, how God, you know, Jesus came, and he lived this life, signs, wonders, and miracles. He faced criticism. He faced intimidation. He broke away from traditional you know, thinking in terms of what it is to be living in a religious structure. And he brought that with love and grace. So let's, let's have the mind of Christ. Let's be kingdom people as we move forward into what lies ahead. Now, now I honestly don't know all the details of what you don't know. We don't know. But we do know one thing, that the Lord is the one who governs it all, and he's on the throne. I just want you guys to be encouraged with that. So, Father, thank you for the body of Christ. I pray, God, that we stay unified. God, I pray that we stay focused. And I thank you, Lord, that you're raising up these, these Davids, really, all over the world. And they're coming out of these secret places, these hidden places, and you're using them. And I want to thank you for this house. I want, I want to thank you, Lord, for the people that are part of this house. And I pray, that, Lord, that we would be people of wisdom and revelation, that we'll hear your heart and we'll move. And God, as you uh, promote us, you promote us, Lord, we just want to be ready. Thank you for really even this, these last eight weeks where we've really been able to tuck ourselves in and go deep in the word of God. And, Lord, to uh, hear your voice and to be built up. And, God, we just say we're ready to be used however way you want us to be used. We are we're your sons and daughters. And so we thank you for it, Lord God. I pray that you would continue to bless uh, the body of Christ around the, in our nation and around the world. And I pray, God, that you would continue to bless every pastor and every leader as we move forward together. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said amen, amen, amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks again for listening. For more messages just like this, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. God bless.